The date is June 29th, 1988, and we're watching Coming to America. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. and welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me, as always, is the semi to my Prince Akeem. (laughs) Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. And this week, we decided to take a cue from a review we received on Apple Podcasts. We always ask at the end of the show, just go give us five stars if if the credits are something that you usually skip through. The five stars are important. I just want to like touch on that right now. We are trying to get ourselves up the charts. But we did receive this one review from someone called Walter Mondale Fan. And even though we don't normally care about what is being said, it's those five stars that are important, this person did comment that they would like to petition to have Joel Sims from our Home Alone episode become a recurring guest. And we did listen to this feedback, so please welcome back our friend, Joel Sims. Joel, welcome. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be back. Thank you to Walter Mondale fan. It's truly an honor. (laughs) I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the Carter administration, so that's great. (laughs) We're We're a podcast for the people, by the people, so. That's right. A real grassroots thing we got going on here. So, this week, we're celebrating the release of the new sequel, Coming Number 2 America, which is now available on Amazon Prime, by looking back at June 1988 when the movies in theaters were, (laughs) this is a great list, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big, The Great Outdoors, and Bull Durham, and actually, normally I only mention four There was also Funny Farm and Big Business in theaters right now, so I just wanted to pepper in a couple extras there. And of course, our movie for today, Coming to America, which earned $350 million on a $28 million budget. And as always, spoiler alert, there will be spoilers going forward, so if you haven't seen this movie, like me, and you don't want it to be spoiled for you, then please hit pause, go watch it, and then come back and hear what we have to say. Yes, and... I might also want to mention that even if you haven't watched the preview for the upcoming sequel, there is spoiler alert on that one as well, because I will be referencing it even if I haven't seen the movie itself. So the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is, well, I have found three. So the first is, this summer, Prince Akeem discovers America. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, okay. So, or Eddie Murphy is Prince Akeem. Coming to America. There is an ellipsis in there. Prince Akeem dot 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 coming to America. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to America. Very yeah. <laughs> okay. And finally, the the four funniest men in America are Eddie Murphy. That was just kind of like braggadocious. A little. I kind of hate it. I kind of hate it, but in a fun way. Like it's a fun hate. I'm like, you know what? We get it. The whole yeah. thing was like a big, long bit for Eddie Murphy to screw around. Want <laughs> well, it, you know? But doesn't it also feel like a bit of a kick in the dick for Arsenio Hall? Because he also plays four characters. Yeah, what happened to Arsenio? Yeah. Give some respect to Arsenio just in the background. <laughs> but those, of course, 
looking at what those taglines are are not the best description of, of what this movie is. So let's go to Colin for a 60 second synopsis. <laughs> All right. It's funny that all those taglines essentially just repeat the title of the movie because, and I don't know, maybe we'll talk about this later, but I found the title of the movie very misleading. Okay. It wasn't what I thought it, wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. But anyways, here's my 60-second synopsis. Prince Akeem of the royal family of Zamunda has grown tired of his pampered life of rose-petaled walking paths, orchestral wake-up calls, and professional penis cleaners. He longs to one day be allowed the opportunity to wipe his own ass. With the arrival of his 21st birthday, it has come time for Akeem to marry, but he doesn't want to marry just any woman, let alone one that barks on command. Under the guise of needing to sow his royal oats, the prince comes to America with his best friend Semi, forsaking his princely status in search of a woman who will love him for who he is and not what his riches can provide. And that is your 60-second synopsis. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, you know, that synopsis suddenly makes me realize that they never do show a scene of him actually doing any of this stuff for the first time. You, you'd think that it would be a big deal that the first time he wipes his ass, it would be fun to have a scene of him coming out of the bathroom going, I did it! I wiped my own ass! You know? Yeah. <laughs> Something. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Back to my previous point, that's kind of the whole problem with the movie for me is that it's it's not really about coming to America. It's just a man looking for love. Like the title of the movie should have been Looking for Love in America or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was I thought it was going to be more of a fish out of water type scenario where a lot more of the jokes would be about him, you know, doing stuff that poor people have to do or you know, being mm-hmm. from Africa and learning how America works and that kind of stuff. But he kind of just jumps in and is okay right away and just starts looking for his girl. Yeah. I, I respect the way that he just came in immediately horny, flew into the big stage, <laughs> like I'm yeah. getting down to it. I'm going to go work at the, you know, the not McDonald's and, uh, you know, get after it. But yeah, I would appreciate a little bit more going on. I wanted to see Eddie White's ass. <laughs> I'd pay extra. Yeah. I want to see Eddie White's ass. <laughs> So now at the top of the show, Joel, Colin mentioned that he has never seen this movie. What about you? Uh, If I remember correctly, you haven't seen this either before now. I have not. I saw it for the first time today when I got off work. I went through it pretty slow, was taking some notes and stuff. It was not what I was expecting it to be. Okay. I don't know how to describe what I was expecting, but certainly it wasn't like a romantic comedy. I was expecting, I don't know. I don't know. It 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 was less of a fish out of water scenario. It was more of like a fish in mcdonald's and also it's eddie murphy dressed as like a different fish like now he's like an angel fish instead yeah. of a beta and it's like oh also he's like a shark at the same time and arsenio <laughs> is like a different beta fish in the same tank and they're hanging out like it was not my best allegory like not my best, not my best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but it was, it was to me the movie seemed like a 28 million dollar excuse for uh Arsenio and Eddie Murphy to fuck around <laughs> like, more than anything yeah. else. They're like, yeah, put it in theaters. We'll make money off it. <laughs> yeah. Let's jump into Coming to America. It's directed by John Landis, who we talked about a bit in our Trading Places episode. Well known for the Michael Jackson thriller video, Animal House, Blues Brothers, Clue, Three Amigos, Spies Like Us, and American Werewolf in London, which must be why he landed the thriller video as one of his credits. 
It's produced by George Fulzy Jr., who we talked about in Trading Places as well. Also produced Blues Brothers, Spies Like Us, Clue, the thriller video, American Werewolf in London. And interestingly, was also the editor on this movie. It's also produced by Rob D. Watts, who has eight total producing credits. Uh, see if you can see the connection with these credits. We've got Eat, Drink, Love, the story of the comic strip. Another 48 Hours, Harlem Nights, Beverly Hills Cop, The Golden Child, Raw, and Delirious. Hmm. I know, it's a tough one. It's a, it's a real brain tickler. It's got to be about the comic strip, right? I feel like there's someone in all those movies that can't quite place <laughs> <slice> it. <laughs> Was it Arsenio Hall? <laughs> That's You got it. Uh our Arsenio was actually in Harlem Nights, uh, but yeah, other than that, nope. Uh, yeah. Anyway, written by Eddie Murphy, who gets the story by credit. He was also a writer on Boomerang, Harlem Nights, Vampire in Brooklyn, Norbit, Raw, Delirious. Eh, you know, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of anything he's been in. But strangely, he has no writing credit for the upcoming Coming to America movie. Interesting. It's also written by David Sheffield and Barry W. Blostein, who have identical credit lists, Nutty Professor 1 and 2, Boomerang, Police Academy 2 to 5, The Honeymooners. We open the movie on one of my favorite Paramount Picture gimmicks, where they show the Paramount logo, which ends up changing to actual landscape. Like, I know it's something they do in the Indiana Jones movies, for example. We go over the mountain into the landscape of Zamunda with an African-sounding version of Lion Sleeps Tonight, or at least it sounds very similar. Like, it's kind of like that Hawaiian singer, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but he sings that ukulele version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah, Israel Koamakamokum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So I don't know whether this is actually Lion Sleeps Tonight or whether it's just something that is Lion Sleeps Tonight adjacent. I thought it was like an homage. Yeah, it, yeah. you can definitely hear it there. Yeah. Just a couple a couple notes kind of changed. So we get this beautiful sweeping shot of the forest, and, and it suddenly occurred to me, I think this is all a miniature. Because, like, the palace, when we see it, is pretty obviously a painting. But the rest of it, I just got to looking at the river and thinking, it's not moving. I think this is just like a giant miniature. Maybe it's just frozen water. You never know. In the middle of Africa, frozen Poss water. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but now we zoom into the palace with elephants milling about outside, and it's morning in this grand palace, and we get to see a scene very reminiscent of Dan Aykroyd in the opening of Trading Places, which Eddie Murphy now gets to experience. We see the royal... I don't know. What what would you call him? Assistant? Oha? The, yeah. Oha. I, I think he's like the, uh, not, I don't know, like the, like the but, he's kind of a butler almost. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's Oha played by Paul Bates. And he's coming to wake Prince Akeem up for the day. And he has a mini orchestra in the balcony of the room to gently play music to wake Prince Akeem. And he wishes the prince a happy 21st birthday. And Prince Akeem is played by Eddie Murphy, who is from Saturday Night Live, Nutty Professor, Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, Trading Places, Dream Girls, and of course, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. See, I strictly knew Eddie Murphy from Party All the Time and nothing else. Just Party the hit single, Party All the Time, off the one album that he released. It's a big hit. 
Wow. The big hit off of his album, Party All the Time. That's a deep cut. Oh, <laughs> anything, anything for Big Ed, you know? <laughs> and and much like you said in Trading Places, Colin, I don't know if I could have a, an orchestra file into my room and not wake up. <laughs> no, they no. were exceptionally light-footed. <laughs> yeah. Good for them. They put in their work, like those Russian ballerinas that look like they're floating. That's what those guys really quietly shuffled in. I gotta say, I was a big fan of this scene because it just seems like the dream being woken up by like a nice live orchestra. It's like I'm used to my Apple default sound alarm, which in comparison to this is like a drill sergeant like throwing open a door and punching you in the head and yelling, Wake up. Yeah. Like it feels like you're being assaulted first thing in the morning compared to this like serene nice calm so we get to see the morning routine of the prince getting his slippers put on for him getting rose bearers to drop petals at his feet wherever he goes having his teeth brushed for him to the point of having a servant like manipulate his throat with his fingers so that he doesn't have to gargle for himself like would this work i i, I tried it and i i just don't know whether <laughs> i did i did want to take a moment to critique that servant's brushing technique because that is not like dental association approved. He basically <laughs> just touches it. There's no, it's two minutes you need. <laughs> you never know. It might have been like there's like nine out of ten dentists. He's like he was the one. He was the one. He was the, the one. <laughs> and, and they they of course left out the importance of flossing as well. Oh. I, I would have liked to have seen someone try to get in there with a piece of floss. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Again, director's cut. Put it in the director's cut. <laughs> and then it's bathroom time, and the prince asks Oha that since it's his 21st birthday, do you think I could use the toilet alone for once? And Oha laughs this off and calls for the wipers. <laughs> and then he also gets bathed in one of the funniest misdirects in this movie, where Akeem is sitting with a smile on his face, with a topless woman sponging him clean, only to have it re- revealed that there was another woman submerged the whole time who says the line... The royal penis is clean. Oh my gosh. I wish that they would have cut to a scene showing the wipers just dejected <laughs> because that, that has to be the worst <laughs> job you could possibly have. <laughs> That's worse than Jizz Mopper at a peep show. <laughs> <laughs> no. See, at least Jizz Moppers, you don't need to acknowledge the reality of it. You know, you can just you can pretend it's something else. Whereas with, with the wiping, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. Like, you're in it. You're in it if you're a wiper. <laughs> like, there's no escape. <laughs> I like, what what tech, like, because, I mean, that's, that's something I feel like you would want to get over with as soon as possible. So I'm just curious what the technique would be. Is it, like, a quick, like, is there a spread? I don't know. We could get it. <laughs> they get in there like an F1, like, pit crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have four guys all in different angles. We just go, like, one, two, and it's all clean. Yeah. <laughs> Hold the legs up, spread the <laughs> little spray bottle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now dressed in a polo-looking outfit, although we never actually see him play polo, he is led to the breakfast table with the rose bearers leading the way, and so he sits at his end of the table with his parents, the king and queen of Zamunda, sitting at the other end of this super long table. I love the same gag was used in Batman a year later. <laughs> The king is Jaffe Joffer and Queen 
Aeolion, who are played by James Earl Jones and Madge Sinclair, respectively. James Earl Jones, of course, is from movies like Patriot Games and The Hunt for Red October, Field of Dreams, Roots, and he reprises his role in the upcoming sequel. But really, he's the voice of CNN, Darth Vader, and Mufasa in The Lion King. It was interesting for me to realize that out of his 188 credits that he has, almost 10% of them are either Star Wars or Lion King related. Oh, really? James, get that money. He's in the house of mouse. He's that one. <laughs> Madge Sinclair, meanwhile, has kind of a meh IMDb, but I, I was fascinated to see one particular credit. She played Queen Sarabi in The Lion King. So this yeah. isn't the only time they've played a couple. And a king and queen to boot. If only Eddie Murphy had played Simba. <laughs> get John Favreau on the phone. We're redoing the remake. <laughs> We're getting Eddie Murphy in there. At their end of the table, the king comments that Prince Akeem is unusually quiet this morning and uses the intercom on the table to check in with his son. Not wanting to talk through an intercom, Akeem gets up and starts walking to the other end of the table, and this causes panic as the rose bearers race to get in front of him as he walks, and he sits down with his parents and confides in them. With this being Akeem's 21st birthday, today is the day that he will meet his arranged bride-to-be, and he is nervous by that. In fact, he's been questioning everything about his life lately. The rose bearers, the wipers, the bathers. Well, actually, he rather enjoys the baths. <laughs> but he wants to tie his own shoes, which his father tells him quite sincerely that he tried it once, and the experience is highly overrated. That, that's probably my favorite line in the entire movie. <laughs> just, be, just because it's James Earl Jones. He seems like such a serious guy. I would, in, in my perfect world, all audiobooks would be narrated by a combination of James Earl Jones and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. So, and this was probably the first movie I've ever watched where I actually saw James Earl Jones. And to see him being kind of a comedic force was very mm -hmm. off-putting for a little while. <laughs> yeah, because in something like Field of Dreams, which is one of the things that I know him best from, other than Darth Vader and Mufasa, but... Uh, it's he's a very grumpy ornery guy in that movie and mm -hmm. you're right to see him uh, in this comedic role it is kind of fun because you always think of him as the cnn guy like he's got he must be serious if he's saying this is cnn yeah yeah so basically the only resolution he gets out of this is that it's declared by the king that rose petals are no longer to be thrown at his son's feet and not to worry about his future wife because he'll learn to love her and she's been raised to obey his every command. And it, at this point, their conversation is interrupted by Semi, who is there to take him for his daily workout. And this is played by Arsenio Hall, who is a talk show host. He was in Harlem Nights, Black Dynamite, short-lived sitcom called Arsenio very clever, and the voice of Winston in the cartoon The Real Ghostbusters. Okay, so who is Semi? Is he a friend or a servant? Because at various times, both seem like possibilities. I think it's both. Yeah. Okay. See, but for me, that raises the question of like what came first. It's like the chicken or the egg. Was he like a servant first and then he became a friend? Or was he a friend first and then he was like, fuck it. I'll get you on board. Like how like rappers will be like, yeah, my brother's my manager now. <laughs> so... Is there like a promotion structure in the Palace of Zamunda where he started off as a wiper and now he's like his uh, personal trainer? Yeah, is Semi unionized? The <laughs> <laughs> wipers union or something that he he's a part of? Yeah, I'm not sure. I kind of th I kind of thought that he was he was definitely a friend mm -hmm, and right? like more of a I don't know, not necessarily a servant, but definitely like 
kind of a servant in the way that like all people are sub like all people in royal structures are like subservient to the royal family. Okay. Because it never really seems like he's. But I mean, at the end of the movie, spoilers. But at the end of the movie, they call him like they they refer to them as like prince and servant. So yeah, I guess I don't know. It's confusing. See, that's where I think maybe like personal trainer might be the best comparison. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So now we head to the workout, which you you would think was something polo like because of Akima's outfit, but instead they're doing some martial arts with staffs. And, like, I know when I watched the scene, my first thought went to you, Colin, because of your comment in the Blade episode where you said, all you need is a good sword fight in the movie. Is is this close enough for you? Well, (laughs) that's funny. Actually, watching this scene, I've I've often, like, seen these memes that talk about, you know, like, if the Avengers had been cast in the 90s or the 80s, and most often they, I see Eddie Murphy cast as Black Panther a lot, and I always kind of wonder wonder why. But watching this scene, I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess I could, I could totally see it." Almost, you know. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, he's not doing all the jumping and flipping around and stuff. But what you, you know, know, he has kind of that that kingly, that kingly Black Panther esque. <laughs> my my favorite thing about that statement was totally see it almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think my favorite part of the kung fu scene is how it's like. When they pan out, they're doing, like, complex moves. And when you zoom in, it's just Arsenio with a bow staff going, ah, <laughs> yeah. And basically just, like, pushing it up towards the staff that's coming down directly on top of him. It's like, yeah, man. What a, yeah. What a skilled prize fighter this guy is. <laughs> Truly. But to get a better sense of how these two interact with each other, I think I'd like to do a little I used to like this One Piece theater. I mean, to go back and answer your question, no, it's not a good enough sword fight to save the movie. Okay. Final verdict. <laughs> Final judge, jury, executioner. So, yes, one thing I do like to do on this show occasionally, or Colin has surprised me with it before, is we we can't legally play any clips from the movies, but sometimes we like to do a little performance art piece because we often get friends that we have done theater with on this show. So... Today, it's it's a small one, but I have sent both of you a script, and so I think we'll get Colin to play Prince Akeem, Joel, we'll get you to play Semi, and let's do a little I Used to Like This One Piece Theater. Now, to help get you guys in character, remember that you guys are in the middle of a physical battle while you're doing this scene, so let's, let's work on getting a little bit of out-of-breath situation. I'm just breathy at all times, so like I'm ready. Fair enough. I'm going for like you know an anime, like final final boss anime battle. Yeah, just like the cocky like. Hit, hit. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Let's see if you can defend yourself. You sweat from a baboon's balls, so you can have a woman who will obey your every command. But you'd rather have a woman who has an opinion. Only dogs are to obey. If you love your wife, you'll value her opinion. Hippopotamus shit! You're the heir to the throne of Zamunda. Your wife need only have a pretty face, firm backside, and big breasts. So you would share your bed and your fortune with a beautiful fool? That's the way it's always been with men of power. It's tradition. It's also tradition that times must change. Yes! I used to like this one piece theater. (laughs) 
<laughs> there we go. Directors, uh, my P.O. box is... <laughs> <laughs> Just slide into Joel's DMs. He likes that. In the in the future for our, uh, I used to like this one piece theater. I think we need to start throwing in like a randomizer for for like accents or like character and character <laughs> traits. To... <laughs> so well, yeah, but but I don't want to be the guy that ends up with something like Jamaican or something, <laughs> something else really f- offensive. Twitter, do your thing, Sean Wells. Is yeah, always. So now it's the evening, and it's time for the royal engagement party. All the fancy-dressed people are arriving at the palace, and we get Colonel Izzy presenting his daughter for the royals. With another funny misdirect of the fairly unattractive woman pushing her way through the crowd, but she turns out to be just announcing the betrothed. But great reactions from Eddie Murphy in this scene, where it's the oh-thank-God moment. Showing his chops. Then we get a very impressive African dance as part of it. it. It does definitely go on for a while, but it's it's pretty great to watch. And I read that Paula Abdul choreographed it. Yeah. Apparently, it's mostly just a sped up thriller dance. <laughs> I, 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 I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> the dance ends with all the dancers off to the side in a kowtowing type position and a wide open aisle for the princess to walk down. And then in a bizarre juxtaposition to the heavy African drums, Oha starts singing acapella in a high falsetto. She's your queen to be. Did either of you pay attention to the lyrics of this song? Oh yeah. I had the subtitles on. And all I can say is I think I found my new audition song. That's your (laughs) go-to. I, lo- I love this scene. You yeah. can just hear the echo off the back walls. Like he was just absolutely going for it. My, fa- my favorite, my favorite lyric is probably when he says, "She's free from infection to be used at at your discretion." That's right. Yes, for for anyone that has never listened to the lyrics of the song, it's she's your queen to be, a queen to be forever, a queen who'll do whatever his highness desires. She's your queen to be, a vision of perfection, an object of affection to quench your royal fire, completely free from infection to be used at your discretion, waiting only for your direction, your queen to be. Those are... Sounds like, you know, very reminiscent of some Bob Dylan classics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when she gets in front of him, Akeem asks to have a private word with her. They go off into his side room, and I love the sight gag with the really long train of her dress as she enters. Akeem is simply trying to get to know her, but all her answers are basically, whatever you like. She's like an android woman. And he orders her to stop obeying him, which she refuses. I, I think if she was actually a robot, this paradox would make her head explode. Because exactly. really, by disobeying his order to stop obeying him, is disobedient. Like, am I wrong here? They're dividing by zero there. Like, they're just creating a paradox. She's just frozen up. Yeah. Akeem decides to test her independence by seeing if she'll hop on one foot and bark like a dog, which, of course, she does without hesitation. But it also makes me wonder why Queen Aeolian has, like, an independent personality. Is it just because she's been married so long to the king? Because we have found out that that was an arranged marriage as well. So, did he put her through the same stuff? <laughs> I I sincerely hope so. I sincerely hope he also did the power trip of like bark like a you know bark like a dog and make orangutan noises because because it basically just feels like junior high improv class and it's really good just getting out of your shell there all these you know hyped up hyped up kids jumping up and down making monkey noises the same energy 
The same ending. If I was a kid, that's all I'd be doing all the time. Just mandatory, awful improv. Well, yeah, because he comes in and he's like totally unfazed by what's going on. He's just like, oh, you guys are getting on just fine. Doesn't give it the time of day. <laughs> but Akeem tells his dad he can't do this. He needs to see the world. So the king goes back out and announces to all the guests to go home. The wedding will happen in 40 days. Prepare the royal luggage. My son is going on a trip. So Akeem and the king are outside talking a bit more in the garden where one of the baby elephants is named Babar for some reason. I, I, I was wondering, like, do they have Babar books in, in Zamunda? I wouldn't see why not. Is Babar only a Canadian thing? or Is, is that... Babar Canadian? I thought it was, yeah. Which makes, like, absolutely no sense because it's like, out of all the countries where you could have a, an elephant living, why would you choose Canada? It just asked Lucy. Just ask <laughs> Lucy the elephant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Akeem is talking about how he wants a woman to love. The king is worried he wasn't attracted to his chosen wife, but Akeem says, I want a woman who arouses my intellect as well as my loins. And we cut to Akeem and Semi deciding where they're going to go. They decide on America and flip a coin with Akeem's face on it to choose between New York and L.A. It comes up Akeem head. So New York it is. I, I wonder how different the movie would have been with Tails. Like, I'd kind of like to see a sliding doors version of this movie where we see the, what the L.A. journey would have looked like. <laughs> I mean, that would have been, had they made a sequel earlier, that would have been the clear sequel. Yeah. Like, let's go get, let's go get semi-married in L.A. <laughs> but with New York chosen, the only logical place to look for a woman to fall in love with is Queens. And so they arrive in America on a Concorde jet. Akeem insists that their cover story is that they're just regular African students, which is hilariously contradicted as he's saying it by the three carts full of luggage being wheeled behind them. Did you guys, <laughs> this is just occurring to me now, but they're meant to be like in their early 20s and they both look 40 easy <laughs> to it's me. It's true. It's like they don't look 21. <laughs> they don't. I'm 21. Yeah. I know what 21-year-olds look like. Yeah. They they do not. They look so much older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got two kids and a mortgage out there. They yeah. got a down payment on a second home. They're starting rentals. <laughs> building a 401k up. <laughs> gotta, gotta work on the moisturizer routine a little bit. No, that's true. Because, yeah, as soon as he said happy 21st birthday, there was a part of me that wondered, how old was Eddie Murphy? I, I never did actually look it up, but... No, I just, I just looked it up here. Eddie Murphy was 27 and Arsenio was 32. The movie's lying to us. You heard it here first, folks. Hollywood <laughs> films play actors as younger than they actually are. Yeah. So outside the airport, Akeem strides into the middle of the street and yells halt to an incoming taxi, to which the driver yells back, you dumb fuck. But they get the driver to drive them to the poorest part of Queens. He drops them off. Is this shitty enough for you? And right where they are dropped off is the Mighty Sharp Barbershop. And they go in to check it out with all their luggage left on the sidewalk because they're super trusting, I guess. The men inside are in the middle of a heated debate about who is the greatest boxer of all times. Did you recognize the kid in the chair getting his hair cut? It took me... Cuba Gooding Jr.? Yeah, it took me three watches, but then I did realize it was Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> that has a lot of... Like that guy actors. There are a lot of moments where I was looking at it and I was like, is that so and so? Yeah, like in the barbershop. It is. It's Cuba Gooding Jr. I, like, I, just, I remember at one point I thought I saw Richard Pryor and then I realized I need to check my biases a little bit. Uh, <laughs> he's like snipping above his head. Yeah, he's just like floating it. He's floating the scissors. Yeah. He's floating them over them follicles. You know, he's, he's, he's getting a. There's a shave and a haircut and then whatever that was. Yeah. So 
as for most of the other men in the shop, well, we have Eddie Murphy playing Clarence and Saul and Arsenio Hall playing Morris. But how impressive is the Saul makeup? Like, did you have any idea that was Eddie Murphy when you first watched it? Either of you? What? No, like, I had no idea. Yeah. I, I have no idea that he played Saul. Genuinely. The like, yeah, the old white guy. That's Eddie Murphy. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense that he did because he had like six characters. And I was reading through yeah. the IMDb page and I saw Saul and I was like, which one was that? I thought it was uh, well, I, one of the other guys I, in the barber shop. And I just moved past him. And no, that was unbelievable. I had no idea. I had no idea. And I still didn't until right I, now. I didn't clock it until I watched the trailer for Coming to America 2. And they put yeah. all of them, like, they show them all again, like, who Eddie and Arsenio are playing as multiple characters. And they're, all those guys are back in it. But it's really, even even when I was watching it, like, I, I felt like my brain was trying to tell me it was, but I couldn't believe it. Well, I did read somewhere that he, when he first got the makeup put on, he did go around the studio and started like just going into people's offices and talking in Eddie Murphy's voice, and they thought that it was a guy doing an impression of Eddie Murphy. Oh wow! Like even talking in his own voice, he was not like he was fooling people. Still, <laughs> it's like I'm, look- I'm looking at a photo of him right now, and like it's unbelievable how good it is. <laughs> I think this movie is like it's kind of like the equivalent of like White Chicks, you know? Like the Wayan Brothers did it second, Coming to America did it first, except it was like um, white bored Jewish men. <laughs> not exactly the same stakes as white chicks it was just guys hanging out in a yeah. barbershop yeah and and it was nominated for a makeup award in the oscars but it did not win huh but i also gotta know is this racist like is white face a thing it's not it's not no no it's not <laughs> but they find out where to go to get an apartment and also all their luggage has been stolen and then so they go to see the landlord of the nearby building or the building over the barbershop, I guess. And the landlord is played by Frankie Faison, who we talked about a few weeks ago in our Down to Earth episode. They request meager accommodations. So he takes them to the apartment. There's only one shared bathroom on the entire floor. Holy shit. The elevator is broken and the room has one window and faces a brick wall. He used to rent to a blind guy. It's real fucked up. And so he removes the crime scene tape on the door, opens it to show them, chalk outline on the floor, and it's perfect. We'll take it. But I do want to mention that when we are shown the interior of this apartment, there there is, in fact, one window which faces a wall. However, the very next scene is Prince Akeem standing on the fire escape yelling good morning to all the neighborhood, where we can clearly see three windows and no building close enough to provide no view. So Prince, just so rich, he's hiring contractors to come in and tear down the building across the street, like immediately. Yeah, okay. So he can have his moment out on the on the fire escape there, yelling to the world. But but later there is the scene where he's waking up Semi and Semi doesn't want to go to work, and the bed is right under the window, and there is still clearly a brick wall there. So like he tore down the building and then built a new one. Yeah, contractors in New York work fast. I don't okay. know what to tell okay. you. He has so much, he's on his own money, so he can just afford to do whatever he wants to do. I mean, I don't know what the exchange rate is between Zamunda dollars and US dollars, but it's clearly equitable. Or, well, or maybe that fire escape is outside the shared bathroom on that floor. Oh, yeah, maybe. I couldn't imagine living in an apartment building with with a shared bathroom. I mean, I guess it's kind of like, that's how university dorms are, but still... 
Yeah. It's different in university than it is, I feel like, when you're a grown adult. There's too many there's too many variables. I, I also feel like the quality of this bathroom is probably a single bathroom. It's a hose. You know, like, one toilet, one sink, one you know, a hose. <laughs> but that that's that's what I feel like. You know, I don't feel like this is going to be a shared bathroom that has eight stalls in it and five showers or anything, you know. No, yeah, no, they they just hope for rain. <laughs> that's, all they get. that's the best of it. They're out there scrubbing with the snow in the street. So while he's yelling good morning to the neighborhood, all everyone is yelling back, fuck you, to which he happily shouts back, yes, yes, fuck you too. And they go down to the street and see everyone in the neighborhood seems to be wearing items of clothing that belong to our Zamundans here. Semi thinks these might have been the people who stole all their stuff. And that idea is confirmed almost immediately when someone comes up to them and asks if they want to buy a toothbrush. I love the sight of all these gold toothbrushes and other toiletries hanging inside the, the guy's coat. It's just dangling there like luxury watches, you know, but but it's some nice toiletries. Got your nice toothbrushes. Yeah. Some gold plated Oral-B, you know, some flakes <laughs> in there. But always optimistic, Hakeem is unfazed by the theft because they are supposed to be poor. So let them have it. Instead, he decides they actually need to dress like New Yorkers. And so we cut to them coming out of what is probably just a tourist trap of a store. And also as they're leaving, we get our first look at a commercial for Soul Glow playing on a TV. The fictional Jerry Curl company will be seen more of later. But the jackets they're wearing are not fictional. And I think that means it's time for Sponsorship Corner! So always on a lookout for product placements in movies. Buckle up because we've got another big one. This week coming to America is brought to you by the New York Mets and the New York Jets. That's their jackets. Tropicana Orange Juice, Nap and Adidas Shoes, Baldwin Trucking, Pam Cooking Spray, Garfield, Radio Shack, Barbasol Shaving Cream, Gulf Gas, Pepsi and Coca-Cola, Budweiser, All Detergent, Western Union, the New York Lottery, Toyota, Mercedes-Benz, and Pontiac Trans Am Cars, Clubman Telk, The New Yorker Magazine, Marbo's Appliances, The Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and McDonald's. I have to say McDonald's because he is actually reading an official operator's manual. I have seen those from my time working at McDonald's when I was younger. You know, you got the insider scoop on those McDonald's operations. You betcha. Plus, a special shout-out to the John Landis Easter egg, which, like Trading Places, is also in the form of a movie poster for a fictional movie called See You Next Wednesday. But this one, uh, it says on the poster, is starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Dan Aykroyd, which I thought was fun. And, of course, we have to mention Soul Glow Hair Products, My T-Sharp Barbershop, and McDowell's. And this has been Sponsorship Corner. I, I did also read that I could actually give a shout out to the Zamundan film board because they did put that in the credits just as a joke that, you know, big thank you to the Zamundan film board. <laughs> well, dressed like what they think New Yorkers dressed like uh, and with the hair commercial fresh in his mind, Akeem thinks it's time to change his look by getting a haircut and they head back to the Mighty Sharp where the old men are still arguing about boxing and he asks for something nice and neat and I love that the haircut is just him getting his rat tail cut off. Snip, that'll be eight bucks. Part, part of me thinks that that rat tail, 
is just a mechanic for them to have the barber shop so that they could do all those rules. Yeah. Because his hair his hair his hair is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if anybody else ever acknowledges the hair again. His mom is ever like, Your hair. No, no, that's true. Yeah, no one ever sits in the barber chair again. Yeah. They just walk in, they just stand around and they they okay. chat with the people that are actually working, but they're not doing yeah. anything. I, I am impressed though with there there is a subtle nineteen eighty eight special effect here which impressed me. When he's looking in the mirror at his hair, we do see Saul reflected in the mirror, which is impressive that it's like, oh, now we've got, they somehow put his makeup character in there. Well, they must have stand-ins for, I don't know how they did, because there's so many wide shots in the barbershop where you can see all of them. And I know it's like back and forth, but there's one specifically that I'm thinking of that's like from a back angle where you see (laughs) all three barbershop characters and then you see Eddie and uh, or Akeem and Semi at the door, and I mean the two the two barbers or whatever they could be standings, but you still have Saul there, and you can clearly see him in the scene as well. So I don't know if they just put all the makeup on someone else and just had them sit there, maybe. And it's also something that they put a lot less effort into in the bar scene a little bit later when we have Arsenio Hall dressed as a woman. They oh, yeah. they really didn't try in that one. It's like, oh, why is he sitting alone on that side of the table now? Oh, now I get the joke. So now with his fresh new look, they set out to do what they flew here for. Time to meet some women. So they head to the bar. And we get a rapid-fire series of dates seeing how bleak the dating prospects are. It's almost like speed dating montage because you never actually see them pick up the women to sit in their booth. But it's a series of weirdos, a rapper, uh, Siamese twins that were recently separated, and plus Arsenio Hall in drag to round out the group, playing, quote, extremely ugly girl. That's what his character's name is in this moment. <laughs> like extremely, like, no, moderately, moderately. Yeah. You know, extremely? extremely? Come on! Arsenio, give yourself a little bit of credit. <laughs> Well, that was a bust, so they head back home where they see Clarence locking up his shop for the night. They fill him in on their night, and he lets them know that going to a bar was a mistake. What you need to do is come where I'm going to a black awareness rally, which ends up being kind of a cross between a church event and a beauty pageant, where the MC is Reverend Brown, one of the four Arsenio Hall characters, uh, and there are bikini-clad women on stage, and Semi tells Akeem to, to pick one so they can go. But Akeem isn't satisfied. And so after dismissing the pageant girls, Reverend Brown brings out Randy Watson and his band Sexual Chocolate, singing Whitney Houston's greatest love of all, to which he only receives a small smattering of applause, except, of course, for the one barbershop guy that actually loves this guy. I didn't believe that that was Eddie Murphy either. Almost none of his characters that he played, other than Akeem, did I truly think were Eddie Murphy. Well, I was watching and I recognized his voice because it's like... He sound it sounds like Eddie Murphy's singing voice, like off the song Party All the Time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that sounds familiar. And then I realized what movie I was watching. And I was like, Oh. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. is, it is Eddie Murphy. I, I'm glad you brought it back to Party All the Time. I thought I thought I thought that I thought the singer was Little Richard. The like the first the first watch I saw him, I was like, Oh, oh yeah. it's Little Richard. Okay, moved on. And then the second the second time I watched it, I was like, No, that's that's not him. And then and then I thought it was the boyfriend. <laughs> That comes in. That comes in later because the Jerry, the Jerry curl and everything. Oh, Eric, Eric but. Lasalle, yeah. The, the 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 one thing that I thought, like you know, Joel Joel commented on the same voice. For me, I heard Donkey from Shrek oh. when he was talking, and that <laughs> that's the thing that set me off for it. Like, I mean, I've seen the movie. I love the movie from when I was younger, and I do know that he plays all these characters. But 
putting the pieces together again, where as I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, that's that's his donkey voice. It, it, you, you wanted Randy Watson to say in the morning, we're having some waffles. <laughs> but after Randy Watson sings, the organizer of the, the event is brought up on stage to say a few words. And this is Lisa McDowell, who is played by Sherry Headley, who re- reprises her role in the sequel. She's in Johnson Family Vacation, The Preacher's Wife, a couple hundred episodes of All My Children. And interestingly, she was born in Queens. Oh, fun fact. For Akeem, it's love at first sight. She's smart, she's beautiful, she's perfect. And they pass donation baskets through the crowd for their mission of saving Lincoln Park, and Akeem donates the huge wad of cash he has, whereas someone else in the crowd is the complete opposite. This other person is Daryl Jenks, who is played by Eric LaSalle, whose most recent credit is in Logan. But really, if you don't know him from ER, you probably don't know this guy. We will find out more about Daryl and what a douche he is later. She lets it drop in her speech that if you need to find her, she works out of the McDowell's restaurant. Aha! Now Akeem knows where to find her. The next day, Akeem and Semi arrive at McDowell's restaurant looking for work. Clever, Akeem. We find that there is a bit of a battle going on between McDonald's down the street over possible copyright infringement as a photographer is thrown off the property. It's funny because I read that this is something that really actually happened because this this building itself was a closed Wendy's. And when they put up all their signage, someone from a nearby McDonald's actually came by and started taking pictures of the building and brought in lawyers and everything. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's a spoof, guys. It's not a real restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I'm going straight to Ronald on this one. I'm going straight to yeah. the top of the operation. Right to the top. Well, is it Ronald or, or Mayor McCheese that would be uh, in charge there? I wonder if uh, Hamburglar there is the head of the crime division. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. They said Hamburglar in to bust up the place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> throw, throw a little Molotov cocktail. <laughs> So the boys are being shown around the joint by the owner, manager, and father of Lisa, Cleo McDowell, who is played by John Amos, who is reprising his role in the sequel. He's, he's from Good Times, Roots, The Beastmaster, Uncut Gems, Die Hard 2, and <laughs> Future Cop, <laughs> which is an Ernest Borgnine series that lasted seven episodes back in 1976. The description of this show, a veteran police officer gets an android for a partner. Yeah, I'm in. You're in? I'm okay. invested. It reminds me of that failed pilot that Joey Tribbiani was in in Friends, the like mac and cheese. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there was a series, oh, what was it called? Oh, I don't even remember, but it had Carl Urban in it. And oh, yeah. it lasted one season, and it was the same yeah, idea. Yeah, that was a good show, actually. Play- yeah. I loved that show, and I was so upset that it only lasted one season. But I also love how this tour is just him discussing the differences between him and McDonald's. They have the golden arches. Ours are the golden arts. They have the Big Mac. We have the Big Mick. They both have two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions. But theirs is on a sesame seed bun. (laughs) Like I just love I just love how much he is just taken from McDonald's. Like it's it's so clearly McDonald's. So Akeem gets put on mop duty. I like the moment of him trying to mop while it's still in the bucket. But you know, tell you what, let's take the bucket away to avoid confusion. And the funny thing is, John Amos was a spokesman for McDonald's for a while in the eighties. Or he was in McDonald's commercials in the eighties, and one of the commercials was him singing this mop the floor song. And so I think this was like a subtle wink and a nod to John Amos, where it's like, ah, tip of the hat. That's right, buddy. 
So while mopping the floor, he goes back and forth in the hallway outside Lisa's office, trying to catch her eye. Finally, he just decides to say hello. He tells her he was recently put in charge of garbage and asks if she has any sanitation needs. But her can is empty. But he lets her know that in the future, whenever you think of garbage, think of Akeem. Uh, outside, Daryl pulls up in his Trans Am, and I love that his theme song is the Soul Glow theme. What would your entrance music be? Hmm. You know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say, Sean. But we guess party all the party time. Party all the time, baby. <laughs> we soon find out that Daryl is the boyfriend of Lisa and also kind of a douchebag. He is also the owner of the Soul Glow Company. And since he's successful, Lisa assumes that the copious amount of cash donated the night before came from him. And he, of course, doesn't deny it. Seeing what kind of man Lisa is into, Akeem goes back to the barbershop where they are no longer discussing boxing, but instead Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he gets talked out of a jerry curl by Clarence because that's just unnecessary chemicals, and we find that Akeem has been using berry juice and stuff, I guess. So natural, you know? It's, it's the organic approach. Probably sell it at Whole Foods by now. I'm going to try that. I have some grapes in the fridge. Just going to go squish them <laughs> up in my hair. Dude, have either of you ever known someone with the jerry curl, though? No, I mean, I feel like I'm well, I'm obviously not too young, but it's, like, something that I only hear about from, like, yeah. mostly, but I've only ever heard it in comedy, like, people making fun of it. And even in this movie, that later scene when they show his parents all have the jerry curl stains on the back of their seats was so funny. Well, yeah, I know. I wonder, like, is it really that juicy? Like, is your hair just wet all day long? Like, I, I've never known a jerry curl. I, I, you know. It's just like, think of, think of like, Italian. It's similar to, like, greasers. Yeah. You know, like, where it's like, it is. It's just soaked in oh. your hair to kind of keep that. It's because when you have, like, curly black people hair, yeah. when it gets wet, it gets, like, the curls tend to, like, tighten in there. I think in the 80s that that really cur- like loose curl look was very was very popular. Yeah. So Jerry Curl was very popular. I just feel like that would be uncomfortable to walk around with your hair feeling wet all day long. Uh, no, it looks it looks so heavy. Like their hair yeah. looks almost like it's sopping yeah. wet. Like you could wring it out. You know, you wring it out like an old towel. You go into the bar with your friends and one of them <laughs> just, needs a little top off. Just like, siphon worry, that off into a bottle. And... A squeeze and <laughs> there you go. It's communal. Yeah, it's really just commitment to a look. Because yeah. you couldn't, you could never turn your head too fast. Otherwise, you'd be spraying everybody around you. No one really wants to touch it. They just want to look at it. I think of like basketball players in the '80s that rocked the Jerry Curl look, and it's just like, oh my god! Like you're adding sweat to this Jerry Curl. Like, how are people <laughs> staying on their feet on a basketball court? <laughs> they need the guys with floor mops for every possession. Yeah, it's like you have a reverse Zamboni come out to clean <laughs> clean that basketball court yeah. between quarters. Yeah, by the end of the season, there's a new new uh, a hardwoods changed color. It looks like it's a new stain on the floor. It's not. It's just Jerry Curl juice. That's so low. So Clarence does also drop some free advice on Akeem. He says, "Getting good with the father, and you're home free." So the next day at work, we see Akeem put this new knowledge into practice as he clumsily tries to talk about last night's sports match of American football with Mr. McDowell. (laughs) Ultimately, the result of this talk for Akeem is getting told to stay off drugs. So instead, he goes to his co-worker Louie for advice, and 
Louis is played by Louis Anderson, who is a comedian. He's from Family Feud. A show called Baskets, where he's playing a woman. This is a this is a newer show. The cartoon Life with Louis, and a, a deep dive of a movie that I forgot completely about called The Wrong Guys. That I think. If it's not too deep of a cut for people, I may want to get that one on this show at some point. But Louis tells him that American women care about wealth. So Akeem anonymously sends Lisa some very expensive ruby and diamond earrings with a note that says, From an admirer, not Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, concise and to the point. Concise and to the point, yeah. <laughs> I I love it. Yeah, just from an because like did did he overhear earlier when Daryl took credit for the big wad of cash in the collection basket? Is that is that why he decided to you know I have to clarify that Daryl can't take credit for this shit? Yeah, I was trying to remember if there's a scene where he finds that out. I feel like there is, mm-hmm. but I don't remember it specifically. Well, we see that Akeem's adventure to the USA is really starting to take a toll on Semi, who says he isn't cut out for manual labor and in desperate need of a manicure. Like, this is one of the reasons why I think maybe he's not a servant, going back to that original argument, because, like, he really is used to a higher class status. He didn't start off as a wiper. He did not claw his way up to a more prestigious position. Yeah. No, no, no. He uh, he knew someone yeah. up the line. Skipped the <laughs> skipped the lower runs. A little bit of nepotism there. <laughs> Climbed straight up. Yeah, I was just thinking back when he when Semi first shows up and he's talking to the Queen. He talks about his mother like the Queen would know her, like they would be in similar uh, social circles. I guess. Yeah. I th- yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe Semi's kind of like. I guess he never actually fights again. And as Joel pointed out, his bow staff skills aren't aren't. Aren't the greatest, but maybe he's only some in close ups. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Akeem, meanwhile, gets to meet Lisa's younger sister, Patrice, who is played by Allison Dean. This is her film debut. She only has 18 credits total. Not coming back for the sequel, though. He gets invited out to a basketball game as Patrice's date on a double date with Lisa and Daryl. And so at the game, Akeem is having a blast, but Daryl's douchery continues as we find out he's a little ignorant and kind of a racist towards non-Americans, asking Akeem if back home he plays Chase the Monkey and shit. This is very insensitive. It is very insensitive. That's awful, Daryl. Be better. Be better. (laughs) Daryl is just such an unlikable character, and in the whole grand scheme of the story, like, he's not much of a foil for Akeem, and like, just kind of a useless character overall. Yeah, they never really have a big head-to-head. Yeah. So Akeem, who is eternally positive, doesn't really see that he's being made fun of, and takes it all in stride. And Patrice, meanwhile, is really into Akeem, aggressively coming on to him, where the scene turns a little hand jobby. <laughs> you know, we've all had a cheeky courtside hand job before. Like, we've all been there. That's regular. That's old school. <laughs> He excuses himself for the bathroom, and as he's standing in line, he gets recognized by someone working there who's from Zamunda, who makes a big loud scene in the middle of the mezzanine. He, he can't believe it's him, here in America! And Akeem tries to play it off, but later, when he's leaving the game, this guy comes up to him again, when he's, when he's with Lisa and everyone else, and asks to get a picture taken with him. <laughs> oh, who was that? Oh, just someone I met in line at the men's room? <laughs> This guy, this guy is a great little side character. I think it, it was a great bit because it's one of those things where 
he's a character in a scene where he's literally on screen for maybe like two minutes, two and a half minutes. And like, I distinctly remember that scene. Yeah. Because it was just such a funny bit yeah. like, out in the hallway. Yeah. The next day at McDowell's restaurant, we see Daryl and Lisa sitting in the lobby chatting. Daryl's douchiness continues as he tells Lisa that his lady doesn't need to work. He goes to get refills on their coffees when Akeem comes mopping by. And she tells him to sit down for a minute. And they have a little bit of a conversation where he ends up quoting Nietzsche, which takes her a little bit by surprise. Most of the people that work at McDowell's don't know Nietzsche. The conversation is going fairly well when who should bust into the restaurant but a robber! Played by Samuel L. Jackson with a shotgun. In one of his first roles, like, this this is only, like, his third or fourth role. I was shocked at how thin he was. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't you don't think of Sam Jackson as, like, young. Seeing him, like, yeah, that yeah. young on film is almost surreal. It's like, he's one of the guys who, even when he's young, he looks old. You know, it's like, like how sometimes newborns will pop out of the womb and they already look like <laughs> yeah. they got, again, like, grandkids, you know? The same look, all the wrinkles and stuff. Same idea there. And it's yeah. it's also funny because to watch this movie from 1988 and see all the all the stuff he's done since, he clearly got typecast very early. You know what I mean? Like he's always just this angry, like no nonsense <laughs> ass kicker. Even 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 when he's just a thug here. Yeah, even in this movie, they they found out that he is absolutely brilliant at delivering the word fucker. Yeah. Like, Sam Jackson's not the type of guy I can ever imagine being in a, like, I, well, I would love, I would love to see a romantic comedy where Sam Jackson is the male lead, and he has to show, like, just a modicum of sensitivity. <laughs> Will you motherfucking marry me? Yeah. <laughs> I motherfucking love you. <laughs> well, little Sam Jackson fact, he was one of the pallbearers at uh, Martin Luther King's funeral. Oh, really? That's unrelated, but yeah, he was. At the university he went to, um, they were just looking for a bunch of, like, uh, like a group of, like, young black students. And yeah. uh, Sam Jackson was one of them. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, Akeem is calmly watching as the this place gets robbed, but he casually unscrews his mop handle and stands up to approach the robber, and he politely asks him to stop using profanity in front of everyone. I guess now he understands that the word fuck is bad, because... He didn't before in the cab where he's like, what does, what does you dumb fuck mean? But now he knows that it's profanity. But he warns him, I'll be forced to thrash you. And then when the gunman doesn't back down, he disarms him and knocks him down with his broom handle. And Semi grabs the shotgun and says, don't move, you diseased rhinoceros pizzle. What's a pizzle? I got nothing. <laughs> it's a penis. I, I, that's what I have to assume. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a penis, right? Later, Mr. McDowell is in his office thanking his African connection for what they did. That guy's robbed them several times. He wants them to keep Sunday open because he's having a get-together. But this turns out to be another misdirect in the story. Turns out they aren't guests at the party, but hired workers. They're going to be valet parking. Do they know how to drive? I can't imagine it's ever come up if they... Especially Akeem, if he's never tied his own shoelaces. Listen, it's New York. It's New York. We've seen those taxi drivers. No one knows how to drive down there. It's all just confidence. You just have to believe you can do it. And you can do it. Their cars are fueled by like Jerry Curl. You know, or they don't use oil. They use they use Soul Glow. <laughs> 
So Akeem will also be tending bar, though. I, I like how McDowell is showing him around, saying, one day if you work hard enough, you might have a home this nice. <laughs> so once the party is in full swing, we find out a bit more of what a sleaze Daryl is when he talks to Akeem, and Daryl decides this is the night he'll be proposing to Lisa, and Daryl goes to Mr. McDowell to ask for her hand in marriage. Cleo, who we've seen is definitely the kind of man who's obsessed with status, couldn't be happier. So he and Daryl go out to the room to announce that Daryl has asked Lisa to marry him. And she said yes, even though nothing of the sort actually happened. Lisa is pissed. Yeah, I found that whole scene weird. Like, it's like, it's a weird North American arranged marriage almost. So I was saying, it's like, I understand it's like they're really leaning into the idea of like the parallels between the two families and like how it's like ultimately similar. But the way that they made Mr. McDowell into that character, like it just, it seems so unnatural at times. Like it almost doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lisa goes out back to sit alone on a swing set and Akeem seizes on the opportunity to go talk to her, bringing her a coat for her shoulders and celebratory champagne for her but quickly learns the truth about this so-called engagement, so it's more of a depression champagne, I guess. He sees he has an in. So Akeem has managed to get a bit of a date out of the situation. He is going to be cooking for Lisa in his shitty apartment, but he arrives home with her to find out that Semi was tired of living in squalor and has made some improvements to their living arrangements, including a huge hot tub in the middle of the room, (laughs) <laughs> I'm a big fan of the hot tub because in keeping with the McDonald's, not McDonald's theme, the hot tub looks exactly like the uh, play places at McDonald's yeah. in, the, <laughs> in the 80s, 90s. <laughs> uh, Akeem knows he can't let Lisa see this, so he makes up an excuse about a rat and instead says they should go out to eat. And before leaving, he takes the rest of Semi's pocket money so that he can't cause any more problems puts it in a McDowell's bag and leaves with Lisa and they walk to a restaurant and on the way he gives the bag to an old homeless man sitting by the river. Lisa asks, what was that you gave him? Oh, just some pocket money. And after Akeem walks away, the homeless guy opens the bag and gets really excited. So excited that he wakes up his homeless brother and we get a fun little scene with these guys because they turn out to be Randolph and Mortimer Duke from Trading Places with Randolph saying, we're back Mortimer. And while eating dinner, the dukes come and bang on the window to thank him. Lisa is taken aback because between these guys and the guy at the basketball game, Akeem has the most amazing effect on people. But Colin, you you, you now see why I wanted to do Trading Places before we did Coming to America, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. I did appreciate that scene. I knew because you had mentioned it, so I knew it was going to be there. And I, the whole time, the first time I watched this movie, I was just waiting. I was like, when are these guys going to show up? Yeah, and I thought they did it really well. We also find out in this scene that the backstory he's given himself is that he's a poor goat herder. I mean, first he says cryptically that he was part of the family business until she tries to dig deeper and he comes up with goat herder story. Leeson can tell he's embarrassed by his lack of wealth and tells him, if I'd wanted to be with a wealthy man, I'd be with Daryl. So Akeem asks her to dance and they end up having a kiss. So we get a scene of Semi at a Western Union office sending for more money from the from King Joffer. It's a fun little moment. They've run out of money, so he's asking the king for $200,000. I just love the sarcastic delivery from the Western Union woman here. Like, are you sure that's enough? You think I should ask for more? Okay, 300000 then. Or 500000 And then she says, why not make it a cool mill? So Semi gets home to find Patrice in his apartment. 
Okay, so like I know it's a shitty place, but how'd she get in? This this movie has a lot of moments that I find go by the old Family Guy trope of a wizard did it, whereas <laughs> just that's the only possible way it makes sense. Okay. Oh. Well, she's looking for Akeem, but now is even more curious about what kind of shit they're into to afford all this stuff. So Semi confesses, sort of. More on that in a minute. Akeem, meanwhile, is also coming home, singing at the top of his lungs as all his neighbors are screaming at him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's he's really unpopular in this neighborhood. <laughs> they got bills to pay, you know, they got families to feed. They're all in a hurry. This guy out there singing in the rain, like, I'd be annoyed too. <laughs> He enters the apartment and starts telling Semi about his glorious night when he stops dead in his tracks because he's seen Semi and Patrice making out on the bed. This is where Patrice says Semi confessed everything. However, it's backwards because apparently Semi is the prince of Zamunda and Akeem is his manservant. So let's put another one into the servant column for what Semi's relationship actually is with Akeem. But whoops! Awkward, Patrice says goodnight and leaves. Next day, Akeem takes Lisa to the museum where they have a display of Zamundan artifacts. The date is going really well until Akeem spots a photo of the royal family, so he rushes her out of there. And later we see Lisa talking about how well she's getting on with Akeem to her dad, and we get it drilled home a bit more how classist Cleo is, because he thinks he she's making the wrong choice. He likes Daryl but probably more his wealth and stability, but tells her that he just never wanted to see his daughters struggle the way he and his late wife did. Instead, he'd rather see his daughters be miserable. That's right. That's fatherhood right there. What a good guy. Back to Akeem and Semi with their landlord. They're asking if if there's any way they're able to switch apartments. Akeem knows that there's no way his cover story will stay intact if he brings Lisa back to his place. She can't see me living like this. So after checking to make sure everything isn't stolen, the landlord says they can have his apartment. Oh yeah, it's a real shithole. You'll love it. But I, I, I suppose Akeem is hoping that Lisa won't notice that he's now living on a different floor? Because we never see him actually explaining that fact. For someone who's in love with this girl, mostly because of her intelligence, he really doesn't give a whole lot of benefit of the doubt to her intelligence. <laughs> like, he really doesn't put a whole lot of trust in her ability to, like, put two and two together. <laughs> well, Semi's request for money has worked. However, instead of just wiring money, the king and queen have made a trip to New York instead. Looks like a cool mill was a little too much to ask for. So their diplomatic procession shows up in Queens. They walk into the barbershop, rose bearers leading the way, and get told that Akeem lives upstairs. And then, of course, Clarence says, who's going to clean up these flowers? <laughs> I wonder how many bags of flowers they transported on the plane. Just, just yeah. purely so that the, the king and queen could have flowers to step on. Well, Exactly, yeah. 50 trash bags full of rose petals, please. <laughs> well, and I think of that back at the uh, palace, too. Do they, like, sweep them all up and reuse them the next day, like, until they're actually dead? Or is it fresh petals every time? Because where are these gardens? that They just have the largest rose garden in the <laughs> world. It's like a wine vineyard of just, like, 
Yeah, it's like a, almost like a wheat field of just roses. <laughs> Didn't you see it in the opening sequence? If you just look to like the bottom corner of your screen, you can see this like pink field of rose of roses. <laughs> no, 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 that's the pop for, for the opium. That's how they really get there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where all their money comes from. Yeah. That's the number number one export of Zamunda is opium. I want to see the Zamunda version of Narcos. <laughs> I'd watch that show. <laughs> Judging by what Wesley Snipes looks like he might be in the sequel, uh, it's possible that that could exist. When I was watching that trailer, the only thing I could think of is if there's not a Coney 2012 joke in Coming to America 2, the whole movie is wasted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I also watched the trailer and wondered, now that I've rewatched this movie... Where would Leslie Jones's character have fit into the whole equation of this movie? Like, there's never actually any moment that he could have gone and had an illegitimate son, as far as I can tell. Because that's the premise of the whole new movie. So, who knows? So the king follows the information from the barbershop guys up to Akeem's apartment, which is now home to the landlord sitting in the hot tub smoking a cigar. And so he tells the king where to find Akeem. So the king turns to leave and sees an employee of the month plaque on the wall for Akeem. My son works? So the hunt continues and the king ends up in front of apartment 1A. Where he knocks, the door opens, Semi sees the king, screams, and slams the door, which was an improvised moment from Arsenio Hall, I read. But then he reopens the door and tells the king that Akeem, Akeem has gone mad, sire. Well, Semi is to be punished. He will be confined to a suite at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel and given new clothes and a bath. So <laughs> Semi really struggles to contain his glee in this moment of his punishment. I love how the king sees this as a punishment, too, confined to his, his room. So now the royal procession follows the breadcrumbs to Akeem's place of work, where Mr. McDowell is positively salivating over the new knowledge that Akeem is a prince. Like, earlier he had a pep talk with Daryl about not giving up on Lisa, but now it seems like all that has gone from his mind because he excitedly tells the king that, uh, well, Akeem is out with his daughter. So the king tells Mr. McDowell to call him at the hotel when he sees the kids, but do not alert him to my presence. I will deal with him myself, which is a line that is actually an homage to a Darth Vader line. So wink and thumbs up to the camera here for James Earl Jones. Akeem and Lisa, meanwhile, are headed to Akeem's home, and he spots the rose petals on the ground leading in. Uh-oh, this is a bad sign. So he cancels their evening and takes her home in a taxi. And Mr. McDowell is now completely different towards Akeem, calling him son and totally on board with them dating. And then the scene turns into a bit of a farce for a bit. Like, we get the silly music playing as Cleo is juggling the insisting that Akeem stay for a drink and snacks and, and Daryl at the door with flowers because this is what he was told to do. And, of course, calling the king. It almost feels like a sitcom. There's a period of like 15 minutes, like that whole in the house scene. It feels very like, it feels like an episode of Full House. Like I'm half expecting like a bunch of aww moments and like a bunch of like canned laughter and like claps and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So Akeem is finally able to excuse himself from the situation while Cleo is out of the room. Cleo comes back in and asks, where did Akeem go? And Lisa is a little bit smarter than that. She says, okay, daddy, what's going on? He's like, what? I like the boy. But Dad ends up spilling it. Okay, he's a prince. You've really outdone yourself on this one, Lisa. 
so Akeem finds Semi at the hotel and he's in the bath with <laughs> with his bathers and he's like, we've been rescued, Akeem. So now here's another one to put into the column of he's a friend, not a servant, because would the servant get his own bath girl? No. That's what I think, too. Maybe that's one of the union perks. Yeah. <laughs> get your own bath girl. Health benefits. Yeah. It's like some people get a dental plan. Some people get a bath servant, you know? It's like having it's like having massage or acupuncture or chiropractic adjustments on your on your healthcare. Yeah, same deal. <laughs> but why isn't the king at this hotel room? Well, it's because the king has headed over to Mister McDowell's house because Akeem is supposed to be there, and some more of that sitcom stuff you're talking about right here. When he finds out that Akeem isn't there, he decides to have a bit of a heart to heart with Lisa letting her know that he has a fiancé back home. So he kind of scares Lisa away from the whole situation. And then he tries to pay off Mr. McDowell to get his daughter to back away. But for some reason, all of a sudden, like a switch has flipped in McDowell's brain, and he's finally not being selfish and saying that, like, you don't have enough money to pay pay me off for my daughter. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. His, yeah. like, his... Lust for money in one fell swoop is gone because somebody just insulted his family. Yeah. Like, what Christmas story, like, Scrooge character arc are they trying to have for this guy? Where he goes, you know what? Hey, you're not allowed to try and, you know, make my daughter do things she doesn't want for money. Only I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big problem that this movie has is, like, a lot of characters' motivations just flip on a dime. There's no build... There's no foreshadowing or anything. It's just like, oh, well, now for the basically the sake of this current scene, I need you to change everything from what came before. Yeah. And now, of course, to add to the farcical nature of this closing section of the movie, we also have Patrice come in. And that just adds all sorts of other complications because now Akeem and Semi have reappeared at the McDowell residence. And we've got Patrice saying, no, he's the prince and everything like that. Lisa is just overwhelmed by the entire situation. So she takes off. This is when the queen says, no, go after her son. She's basically now... And again, this goes back to the beginning of... Was there a moment when the king made her bark like a dog and hop on one foot? Because now she's just kind of like, no, king, uh-uh. He wants the love. Let him go after her. <laughs> like, she she tells off the king in this moment. <laughs> just the, their dynamic is weird. Again, and we are given nothing. Yeah. We are yeah, given yeah. nothing about it. So Akeem catches up to Lisa in a subway station. He hops the turnstiles in front of cops, I might add. There are cops in the background of this scene, but he just hops the turnstile. But they have this big love profession scene on a subway, big public display because it's a romantic comedy in this moment. So you have to have a big public display where Lisa is saying, your father told me that you came to America to sow your royal oats. And he's like, no. I came here to find my true love. When I was just a lonely goat herder, you love me. But now that you found out that I'm a prince, you don't love me anymore. So he renounces his throne to everyone on the subway. And he says, marry me, Lisa. After two dates. <laughs> and then we have the cute little old lady on the train who says, if you're really a prince, I'll marry you. 
but he gives her the earrings that Lisa has thrown at him. That is a very unusual moment, too, when Lisa says, I know who sent these earrings now, and she throws them at him, and it's like this perfect snag in the air. Like defy- I literally wrote down, what a catch. Yeah. Like, unbelievable. Straight boom. Both earrings right to the palm. Yeah. Perfect connection. That's what I've been telling you guys. Black Panther. Black Panther. <laughs> but, like, even, the, like, the way she throws them, like, it's even defined physics, the way that these earrings come at him. It's just, I don't know. But so now, Semi and Akeem are going home, and Semi tries to cheer him up by saying, well, at least we learned how to make french fries. We also get a scene of the king and queen in their own limo, and he's saying, you know, well, arranged marriages are tradition. And the queen says, it's a stupid tradition. And so the king says, who am I to change it? She says, well, I thought you were king. Oh, snap! She just clapped back at the king. (laughs) (laughs) We now get our final psych-out moment of the movie. It's wedding day, back in Zamunda, and Akeem is ready to see his bride. And she starts walking down the aisle in the ugliest pink frilly dress ever. Like, I'm not much of a fashion guy, but, like, this dress is fucking hideous. Oh, it's a whole look. It's a whole <laughs> thing going on. It's it's that, like, broken cotton candy machine chic. Like, it just can't make <laughs> cotton candy. And they were like, that'll do. That'll do. Put it on her. <laughs> but when he lifts the veil, twist! It's Lisa! And so... He starts kissing her, and we get a moment from the priest where he says, Your Highness, we have not come to that part yet. I mean, we're at the end, but I just said, I fucking hate the ending of this movie. Oh my god, I was furious. Yeah. It is one of the worst endings to a movie I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like, what is Lisa's deal? (laughs) But also, the reason why this movie doesn't feel like a rom-com is because it doesn't follow traditional rom-com structure. Yeah. If it did, that scene on the train would have been mid-movie. And then maybe we would have actually, like, figured out, whoa, what caused Lisa to have a change of heart? And, like, then they figure things out. But, like, you don't know. She just shows up. I assume that the king just bought her. I assume her dad <laughs> just just took the two mil and flew her over. Just... <laughs> like, there's probably a whole half hour of movie that's completely unaccounted for. Because they were like, yeah. you know what? No. You know yeah. what? Like, listen, we have all the story fleshed out, but we want more of Eddie and Arsenio fucking around in a barbershop. Yeah. That's what we're yeah. looking for. Like, <laughs> I, I, it made me so angry. It's like in the last 25 minutes, the movie goes, oh shit, this is a movie. Yeah. <laughs> we have a story. And, and, and so it's like Arsenio and, and Eddie screw around, chewed up so much of the screen time fucking around doing self inserts. They were like, uh oh, gotta, you know, make a conflict and resolve it all within the last, like, 30-ish minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's so rushed. It just comes out of it's nowhere. So it's like, conflict, <laughs> and, and it's literally the end of the movie. For a movie that has a runtime of, like, an hour and 58 minutes or something like that, for the ending to be so... It's exactly what Joel is saying, but it's like, they waste... This movie is so long. The pacing of it is so bad. And they waste so much time that they le- they actually left no time for anything important. And it is, like you said, they just... We're like, oh yeah, shit. Somehow this has to be over. We can't just go back to the barbershop. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only thing that I have left to say about this movie with the summary is 
it does end with the line from Lisa of, you were really going to give this all up for me? And he goes, yeah, I still can if you want. And she goes, nah. I hate that too. (laughs) (laughs) Credits with with cast moments. And I I like that they do the tag in the credits where they show Saul telling a joke. And they let the joke, like, go on so that when you... Because they probably put it in there so that you see Eddie Murphy as Saul. What? And so they have to include this extra scene so that you can watch it and go, there's no fucking way that's Eddie Murphy. That's kind of that they could have used to, like, explain what happened between no on the train and now they are married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, within two scenes, she goes from, no, actually, I don't want to be with you. There's a scene between and then they are married. So stupid. Well, there we go. Now, Colin Joel on IMDb, it scored a 7.0 out of 10. It has a meta score of 47. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 67% on the tomato meter and an audience rating of 85%. But Colin, those are just numbers. Why don't you hit us with some reviews? All right, I went to the audience of Rotten Tomatoes for this one, so... Going to start off with Lester E. He gave it three and a half out of five stars. He said, For me, it's one of the best performances of Eddie Murphy. It is a very funny film with quite healthy humor and little violence and friendly for children, I don't know about that, who want to see a good comedy. Although it is a good comedy, it is not a comedy that is total throughout the film, and that makes the plot somewhat slow and boring at times. Okay. Tariq B. says, Coming to America is the single greatest piece of romantic comedy to ever be made, period. (laughs) You don't have to be an Eddie Murphy fan, which I haven't been for years, or a fan of black cinema to appreciate the nonstop goof fest that this movie is, while still creating a lavish backdrop for both African aristocracy, which does, D-U-Z-Z, does exist, and East Coast black middle classdom. Few comedies are as rewatchable. Despite Eddie and Arsenio running the Mike and Scotty routine, the rest of the cast all score at one point or another. Sad, all caps, that this film has such low numbers. Pioneered the material for Stiller, Farrell, Myers, and half, all caps, of comedic cinematic Hollywood. And then just to further my point, Andrew K., Four and a half out of five stars says, It does Black Panther better than Black Panther while being genuinely entertaining at the same time. Eddie Murphy at his best. I I love that. <laughs> I <Joel>. love... <laughs> Joel's face is just to let this... Did we watch the same movie? <laughs> I watched Black Panther. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I love I love the references to Black Panther because that is one of the big jokes in the trailer for the sequel is the, you know, oh, he's from Wakanda. And he, he's like, no, Wakanda is a fictional place. I'm from Zamunda. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, so, yeah, 7.0, 47, 67, 85. It's kind of like a little bit all over the board for ratings. You guys didn't seem to like it very much, though. I don't know. Joel, what do you... What's your opinion of coming to America? Okay, out of out of on a star rating, out of ten, I give it a five point four. Okay. I was looking at maybe like a seven for the first hour and like twenty-five I'd say first hour and twenty minutes. I was looking at like a seven. I was enjoying it. And then everything from there uh pissed me off so much I wanted to take my eyes out with a melon baller. So it really took away from it. I, I've never been so infuriated by the ending of a movie. Eddie Murphy, you don't get any anything from me. Okay, 
<laughs> spent too much time writing an album, not enough time writing the ending of the movie you star in. <laughs> party all the time is no more in my eyes. <laughs> it's party some of the time now, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, so Colin, you, you, you weren't a big fan either, eh? No, I would say I was a fan of the movie up until the point that they actually came to America, and then it just... <laughs> After after that after that point, I don't think this movie knows what it is anymore. Yeah, it's like it's an, it's not a rom com. Like people need to get people need to get that straight. This is not a romantic comedy. Yeah, the romance is like barely even a part of it, even though that's his whole goal. The comedy is there, but it's like basically just the barber shop. It's split amongst things. Like I don't know. I think I said this in Trading Places, but I'm not very familiar with Eddie Murphy, and I have to tell you that like. What I've seen of what's supposed to be like his greatest stuff, I'm not impressed. Yeah, <laughs> like I just even in this movie, I don't even find him to be that engaging. Mm-hmm. He's not. I I thought Arsenio was the more captivating character. I found Eddie Murphy in this movie to just kind of be whatever. His character is so bland. There's no villain really to speak of. They can't decide between Daryl and and uh, Mr. McDowell or whatever. And so it's just kind of like, there's no real struggle. And then the ending, like Joel said, worst ending I've ever seen in my entire life, ruins what was already starting to become a garbage movie anyways. And then to cap it off, it's just too freaking long. Like, why is it that long? It should be, that is a 90 minute max movie. If you can't tell that story in 90 minutes, then there's a problem. Yeah, I I see what you mean, though. Like, it it is something that definitely could have been done in 90 minutes. And so I I think my biggest issue with it is probably the fact that I don't think Daryl was a necessary character. You could have, you could have included other struggles and other, I don't know, other obstacles for him to overcome that weren't this boyfriend that she ended up dumping either or instead, right? Like it's, he didn't really bring about their breakup. It was the character's own stupidity. And then Akeem just gets to be a rebound guy, goes on two dates, and now he's married to her. So I see what you mean. I just, this is one that I just love the performances, though. You know, you say Eddie Murphy is bland, like maybe Prince Akeem is bland. But the stuff that he does in makeup is impressive. Him and Arsenio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would I would, I would separate like the barbershop is like the best the best of the movie like that could have been its own thing yeah like i i i can definitely understand where you're coming from with it it's flawed and everything like that but i still got a lot of good laughs personally i still got a lot of good laughs and i enjoyed the performances so i mean i would probably go more like a, a 65 70 for myself so but you know you've definitely opened my eyes to how flawed the ending is I think it's like seeing it for the first time in like 2021. Uh huh. Like however many years after it came out, like 30 some years after it came out. Yeah. She puts it in like a different light. So I'm sure you probably saw it around when it came out as well. And like mm-hmm. have that like nostalgia factor. Whereas for me, I'm just like, it's not yeah. Citizen Kane. It's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you got to love lines like the royal penis is clean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. That is Coming to America, and that is our show for this week. A big thank you this week to our friend Joel Sims for coming back. Uh, Joel, it's been a blast having you back. I would like to use this opportunity again and give a special shout-out to my number one fan, Walter Mondale fan. Support means the world. I think this is how like A-listers feel. 
So, you know, I get it. This is my Kim Kardashian moment. <laughs> when can we expect the Jewel Sims TikTok? Uh, no comment on the fed. <laughs> if you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is tell your friends, share our posts, tell your enemies, share our posts. Word of mouth is really important for a podcast trying to get noticed out there. And if you want to go above and beyond and really help us out on the business end, one thing you can do is go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcast on and give us five stars. Like I mentioned at the top, it doesn't matter what you say. It's not for our egos, but those five stars, they drive us up the charts. They help us get noticed. I'm expecting we'll just be told that the people want more Drill Sims. <laughs> Thank you, Walter Mondale. And as always, if you want to keep track of what we're doing, you can check out our website, IUsedToLikeThisOne.com. There you can find links to all our podcast episodes as well as our social media we have facebook twitter instagram that's where you can go to find all sean's funny memes you can also drop us a line and tell us what kind of movies you want us to watch and maybe we can get one of your favorites up on here too and if you would like to be a producer of the show and donate to us you can go to patreon.com slash i used to like this one and become part of our patreon community I Used to Like This One is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells, music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band, Carter in the Capitals, anywhere you listen to music. Thanks for listening, and join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I Used to Like This One. <laughs>